Hey everyone, and welcome back to Country Music Made Me. Thank you so much for joining us once again. If you haven't already, please be sure to check out our website at countrymusicmademe.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes and you can also sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content straight to your inbox. Just head over to countrymusicmademe.com and hit that subscribe button. You can also find us on any streaming service. So if streaming is your thing, head over to your favorite platform and search Country Music Made Me and give us a follow there as well. Now on today's episode, we are excited to welcome singer-songwriter Matt Roy. Now he began playing guitar in his youth and by his mid-teens, music was starting to become something more. He attended Belmont University in Nashville as a way to not only earn his degree, but also kickstart a career in country music. Following graduation, songwriting became a big focus of his career, and he earned his first number one with Chris Jansen as he was a co-writer on the song Done. Now, he recently released his debut EP to kickstart his solo music career. So now he's going to be juggling songwriting with becoming an artist. And we talked to him about that during our conversation. So please enjoy our conversation with Matt Roy. You feature your parents on social media quite a bit, but there's never necessarily a musical tie there. And so as far as they go, when you were growing up, were they offering any sort of musical inspiration for you or did you sort of find it on your own? Um, yeah, well, my, my mom and my dad, they both don't play music. I'd say my dad's a little bit more musical than my mom is. Uh, my grandfather uh, sang in house bands and, and stuff like that, sang at the Copacabana in New York, just weird things like that. Um, always kind of singing tunes and stuff. And he was a big part of me growing up in music. Um, he had a little house in Pennsylvania and we used to go and golf up there. Um, bunch of weekends when I was growing up, maybe eight or nine or 10. And uh, he would just have a big set of harmonicas in the back seat and give me the little booklet. I don't know if you've ever seen those harmonicas, sort of like tab booklets. Right. Where yeah. Like numbers blow in, blow out. Blow <laughs> yeah. Out so I used to do those in the car. I can't imagine. I, I can't believe he was able to drive for two hours. <laughs> um, but um, my dad was very just into music, uh, particularly old music. Um, I grew up in New Jersey. So Bruce Springsteen was always someone we listened to. Um, Jackson Brown, Bob Seger, the Eagles, people like that. Those are still my favorite musicians and songwriters. Don Henley particularly is brilliant to me. And um my mom was a big U2 fan, but wasn't really much of a, um, I mean, she's going to hate that I say this, but she, she can hardly carry a tune. In my <laughs> so, but um, I guess journey wise for me, I mean, I could give you the whole rundown if you'd like. Well, and- we'll, we'll break it out because okay. I want to sort of go step by step with okay. it. Yeah. And it's funny. I was going to ask about your grandpa because I was looking at your YouTube videos and there was a comment from a man named Williams Humphrey. And he said he was an old neighbor of your grandpa's and that your grandpa actually sang yeah. at his wedding. Yeah. Yeah. And my, I found that pretty cool. My grandpa to say the least was constantly the center of attention. That, like one of those guys where he walks in the room and everyone kind of shifts their attention towards it. Um, right. But yeah, I, 
very much so. I remember being very young. My dad's 40th birthday was really young. And he was down there with the band that they hired singing Proud Mary for the 100th time that night or whatever. <laughs> you know, very much a performer um, in all facets. So, yeah, no, my grandpa was, I mean, he's my best friend for, for forever, pretty much. So, I yeah. think it was around the age of eight that you picked up the guitar. Now, yes. what caused that? Like, if your parents weren't musical, they didn't play guitar. So, what caused you at the age of eight to want to pick it up? Well, like I said, I think music had kind of always been around my family, even though we weren't directly in it. Like I said, being young and, you know, how every every party, every birthday party we had that was big enough was having a band and, you know, sort of a little band box area. And I think that was always there. And then my dad loved music. So when we were in the car, it was classic rock radio and it was constantly hearing it and CDs and things like that. And so um, for some reason, I just latched into it. And I remember being like eight, my parents tell this story, but I was eight years old and I had my communion. My parents asked me if I wanted anything for my communion, I guess, which I didn't know we gave out communion gifts, but I said uh, I wanted a guitar. And so they had deliberated and talked about it. They bought me this little, probably $40 guitar and it just kind of started from there. Wow. And how quickly did you gain a passion to the point where you saw it as something more? Because it only took a couple of years before you actually started playing out a bit. And so did that passion hit you pretty hard once you started playing? I think for some reason, a lot of it just kind of came easy. Um, And I think everyone sort of has something in their life that they just kind of take to much quicker than, than other people do. And I wish I could take, (laughs) I wish I could take to fix a lot of things in my life a lot quicker than I do. But (laughs) um, in terms of guitar, I just, for some reason, I just picked it up and I didn't really know what I was doing, but I always kind of had it in my hands. And, you know, I'm, I'm really thankful that I didn't grow up in sort of the, phone technology too much era just before that right so there wasn't a computer to sit on you know when they, <laughs> so i always kind of was had it in my hands i remember my dad and i i grew up a red sox fan because a lot of my family's in massachusetts so oh, okay. we watch all the red sox games and i would always just kind of be toying with it and just kind of naturally grew into something and i don't remember being at that age being like I have a passion for this. I just remember constantly doing it at some level. Okay. I think if I stunk like for a while, I think I probably would have been like, I hate this. Get it away from me. That's how I was with soccer. I was horrible at soccer. (laughs) But um, yeah, I had like a little teacher that used to, I went down the road first to this little, to this guy that was at the high school and he taught me. And then after kind of, three months or so of doing that he was like he probably needs a real teacher at this point okay i got a real teacher and within six months of doing that they were he was kind of like he's getting to a certain point where we need to start either investing more time in this or and so it just kind of naturally came i remember as far as performing goes you've posted a picture on your instagram performing on a float 
for the 4th of July parade. What age were you then? Was that pretty early on in your performing I was career? Maybe 14, 14 or 15, which was, I wouldn't say too early on. I, um, in terms of performing, um, I was in this thing called the School Rock. Okay, which yeah. Is um, a little bit more corporate now. You kind yeah. of see them. I mean, there's one in Nashville right down Belmont Boulevard, not too far from here. Um, when I was in it, it was way less corporate and <laughs> borderline regulated. Right. <laughs> it was a little bit more like the movie than it was uh, like it is now. Um, but I'd have to fact check, but I think I probably joined that at 10 or 11. Oh, okay. And you took little private lessons and then they put you in um, sort of um, ensemble groups. And when you're young, you were in this thing called the shrimps, which is funny and whatever. And we would always do sort of, we would be like the opening act for the, the kids who were like 16, 17, 18. Right. So I joined that just to play guitar in it. I didn't plan on singing or anything like that. And um, I remember the first song they had me sing was Purple Haze by Jimi Hendrix, which is funny. This little uh, barbecue restaurant in New Jersey. And my parents had no idea I was going to sing. And I just did. And it just it just was very natural. And I had a great teacher there named Roger Retort. And, and I think when you're with someone who's like a really good mentor to you and takes care of you, you start being way more comfortable and doing things like that. Right. At a young enough age where um, embarrassment was not so much a factor. <laughs> Isn't right? that a nice time when you don't yeah, have to get embarrassed by things? That's sure. If I was 14 or 15, it was the first time I would have been like, well, what if I know people here? Or whatever? <laughs> yeah. um, so, and that just gradually progressed. I was still in the school rock for a while, um, probably up until maybe that point on that float, 14 or 15. Oh, okay. Uh, and we were doing, it was great for me, honestly. We were doing complicated music, which was good for me. We did stuff like Yes and Genesis and kind of more like stuff that was like 18 minute long songs. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, so you just kind of were able to learn a lot of facets. I remember I learned a ton doing the, um, I'm a big Peter Gabriel fan and we did an ensemble for him. And that was really fun. I was really young and sort of impressionable musically and personally and sort of being able to learn different, you know, I, I, if I didn't, I would have played Bruce Springsteen my entire life, right? right. I learned different concepts and, um, and just hear different sounds. And so it was good for me. And then that picture on the float was, um, I had a cover band at that time um, named Crossfire and, uh, it was fun. We, we played old classic rock songs, the doors, Pink Floyd, stuff like that. Oh, okay. And that picture was taken in my hometown. We did the July 4th uh, parade. And so the float is moving obviously as you're going along, which was interesting to say the least. Um, setup was definitely interesting, making sure that speakers weren't falling off the side of, <laughs> right, yeah. of a parade float or a, a real sort of old school flatbed was was interesting to say the least but yeah once once i hit that sort of 11 12 years old there was a lot of performing and i was doing the cover band at that age and then doing some just acoustic gigs sort of by myself the old three hours in the back of the bar kind of thing 
Right. And I think it was in your mid teens that you sort of started posting some original songs to YouTube. And so when did that begin for you? When did you get that itch and the ability to write your own stuff and write your own songs? Yeah, man. Right. Beginning to write songs was kind of scary, I guess. I just didn't, you know, I didn't have any idea really how to or why to or right. You know, yeah. So just like anything else, I guess you just have to do it enough times and strike out a bunch of times, you know I mean? And so in terms of writing, I was probably maybe like 13 or 14 writing my first couple of songs and, you know, they stunk, but it was, was it was. country or were you more writing in sort of that rock vein of Springsteen and stuff? Probably a little bit of both. Um, you know, I think it was, it's, you know, when you're young, I mean, it's, it's tough to write, you know, Springsteen, Jungle Land, you know, nine, <laughs> you know, right. you know <laughs> you have like a, a little acoustic guitar and you know a couple chords and you make a couple parts and you're like, all right, this is it. Put some words to it. Right? <laughs> uh, so it did lean a little bit, you know, I guess a, acoustic rock, I would say, which, is getting closer and closer to pretty much what country music is at this point, in my mind. At right. Least. Yeah. And so, um, and then in terms of posting it, it was just kind of like a, you know, a brand new world, right. At that point, like, it's just, you felt like you weren't doing much of anything if you weren't putting stuff on the internet, right. <laughs> right. Because it was such a craze and, and I never really looked at it as like, oh, I hope I post this video and I get famous and this, that, and the other thing. I just looked at it and said, well, there's like a, a ton more people who are on the internet that are than, than people who are going to be at, you know, the Glen Rock Inn tomorrow night. And that's nothing against the Glen Rock Inn, but it's just the truth, you know, you could yeah. get. And so I just looked at it as another thing to just have people see who I am and, you know, if something happens with it, it happens. If it doesn't, then whatever, you know, you did, you did what you were supposed to do. And, <laughs> um, you know, the, the thing that helped me out probably the most with all that is my dad worked in TV for a long time. He does sports documentaries for a living. So I'm a huge oh, sports okay. fan. So he helped me out and filming all of those. Things. Well, I noticed that I, I was yeah, going to ask you about a little that. bit, a yeah. little bit higher quality than <laughs> yeah. me with a, uh, a camcorder setting up somewhere, which, you know, in retrospect, I think was good. I think it was, you know, I think we were both trying to figure out what the hell to do with all of it <laughs> right. you know, and like how to approach it. And so um, that's the way we went and it was fun. I mean, and, and two, it got me kind of used to being in front of a camera and having to do all that. And like, we just had to film a bunch of music videos probably a couple months ago. And I was like, Oh yeah, I remember doing this in the basement with the tarp hanging out. <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of where all that came from. That's awesome. And I have to say, if people want to see, I think it's probably one of the earliest clips of you. I found one from 2010, the that's next true. gen insider did a little feature on you and you were singing the reason by Hoobastang. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's crazy because we're, we're revamping a lot of what I've done, just going from, you know, writer to artist. And so I had had a decent amount of subscribers on YouTube from back then and right. a couple of 
phones and they were like, Hey, we're going to be putting some videos on YouTube and we're going to be directing people to the page. So you might want to like <laughs> take down stuff you don't want, but it is funny because there are some that I still see like floating around like that one. And yeah. that ended up being kind of like just people picking it up or repurposing. I don't know what it is, but they're still out there. People listening want to go, you know, send, find them and send them to me just to torment my past. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. And so in high school, you were a hockey guy, you were playing hockey. That could have been a path you could take, but you chose music. And so when did that decision sort of form in your head that music was something that you wanted to try and follow? Yeah, I loved hockey. Hockey is, in still my opinion, the the, the best sport on earth. Uh, made some long lifelong friends from it. Um, I think I probably made that decision like at sixteen or seventeen. Um, oh, okay. I was um, I was a good hockey player. Probably could have played a little bit at the next level, but I wasn't going to be a professional hockey player by the stretch of the <laughs> right. Not at any stretch of, of the imagination. And so, and two, like when I was 14, 15, um, when I had buddies who I played on the team, they were doing like training sessions and this, that. And I was just going out and playing music all the time. And I put on my skates like three times or four times in the summer. I mean, maybe a little more. I probably did a little bit of summer leagues, but I wasn't right. like, I wasn't in the backyard shooting pucks like some of my best friends were because I was in the basement playing music. And so I kind of thought to myself, you know, you're kind of spending more time doing this. So, and I I saw a real career path with it. I just seen more response, whether it be through the internet and, and throughout high school, I was 16, 17. I took a couple of trips to Nashville, just through people who had met me over the internet and published people. So I could kind of see it turning into something that could be a career. And that's really when I started to lean on. I'm like, you love doing it. And, um, you know, people seem to care about it just as much as you do to a certain extent. So you might want to chase that down a little bit more than getting your teeth knocked out. (laughs) (laughs) And now you have had good success. So this was the right choice, but you have a, you have a good friend, Brian Kelly, I believe it is. And I believe he's playing university hockey. And so when you look at him and what he is doing, do you have any sort of, Oh, that looks cool. That life. I wonder if I should have tried it. What he's doing is awesome. Um, it's very funny you bring up Brian because he was just texting me earlier. Ryan, oh, yeah. and I talk, Ryan and I probably talk every day. Um, yeah, just we're just really close buddies. But Brian was Brian was a great player. I probably would have played a level below Brian. To say, <laughs> uh, when I was a junior in high school, I'm a 96 birth year. Brian's a 97, but he's a young 97. He's a freshman. And he was one of the best players on our team. Like he oh, was, okay. he's great. Um, but yeah, we went to a game, me and me and a buddy from mine from college, we went up to Burlington. He, he got hurt this year. He messed up his knee. So we had to actually watch a game with him and you get in those environments and you're like, man, I, I do miss, you know, this whole, this whole thing. And I will say the thing I miss the most about playing is, is, um, when you're just writing songs, I mean, not writing songs, definitely with artists and a little bit with writing songs is 
you're on a little bit of an island, you know, like every decision you make comes down to you and um, your performance. And um, the best thing about hockey is when you, when you win, you win with people you could celebrate. And when you lose, you have someone you can, you know, be down in the dumps with. And so right. a little bit with artists and writing, when something bad happens, you're like, well, there's no shoulder here, but mine. Right. Like, so there is that side of it. And I've always been sort of, um, I've always been kind of like a team guy. Um, I've always just loved having people and having sort of a community and a bunch of people having a common goal. And that's part of what makes putting out this EP so exciting is there's been people like working for a long time on it. And so when it does come out, I, I really do feel like it's, it's my name up there. I get that they're my songs and I'm singing them, but there's a ton of people who've done a ton of work. So I, I, I do love that part of it just as much as I do a lot more than I do taking the spotlight for myself to say the least. Right. And within that team as well, you have your girlfriend, Margaret, who I think, I think since high school, did you go, have you guys known Uh, each other since high school? We met, uh, we met in college. We met in college. Okay. And so what has it been like to have her on this journey and sort of see your progression and have her, like you say, there's no one to go to if there's a failure, but you know, you have someone like that, that you can trust in and confide in. How important has that been for you? I mean, it's, I can't understate it, right? Like it's, it's huge. Um, and she's just total, total rock star. Um, she's like in her own career, so driven. So it like, it really makes me be like, well, if she's doing all that work for her career and you're sitting here on the couch, so like it might be time to go and go up and play that piano a little bit more than you have today. Right. Like that. And um, we're both really similar in a lot of ways where we care so much about what we're doing that we do get, you know, we do get emotionally affected by it. You know, we do deal with the anxieties of, what if this doesn't work out? And then like the anxiety of something good's happening. So something bad's definitely going to happen <laughs> follow it up. Right. And so we'll get back to zero. And so I think we help each other out so much being like saying the things that we, we probably can't tell ourselves a lot of the times, like stuff like you're doing great, like take a step back and realize what you're accomplishing, not just what you haven't accomplished. Right. And yeah. She, and the, the best thing is she, um, she had studied her first two years of school do, studying music business as I did. And so she ended up switching gears and moving to marketing and she's awesome at that. And so it does help when I can, she knows all the terminology, right? right. How the, the business works. And so when I say, I think this is happening or I have this weird thing in my contract or whatever, she kind of understands where all that is coming from and how to respond to it and so it does make having some of those venting session type of conversations just having the terminology and the language down a lot easier but i i definitely i definitely would not be as far along as i am now without her just because uh not even close being able to just play her songs and have her tell me honestly that stinks or I don't like that or I don't get it. Like it helps, you know, and, and it helps me too in confidence when she says, no, I think that's great. 
because I think even as songwriters, you get told no, like so often, right? right like, yeah. No, it's not going to cut this. No, we took this off hold. No, it's not going to be the single. But even when you're trying to get a publishing deal, we love you, but we don't have the room. We don't have the money. We, you know, we might be getting bought out. So we might, whatever. You just are so used to rejection at some level that confidence is something that at times can be really hard to come by. And so having someone just tell you, be like, you know what, Matt, that's a great song. And if someone missed on it, it the song's not dead. It'll, it'll find a home eventually. That, that's helped me out like immensely. And within that mindset, I saw that she posted when you released your first single and she had a little like quote from you that she remembered you saying, you told her that no sane person would choose a career in music and that no one goes into music because they think it's a good choice. They go into music because they love it and there's nothing else in the world they would rather do. And so do you have to remind yourself of that mindset? I might, I might have to amend that quote a little bit. I, I think, I think in, in terms of music, like on the creative side, I really do think that um, I don't think there's many people coming out of college being like, I have a great job to be a lawyer. I can work at Deloitte or I can be finance. I can make six figures or you know, I could try this whole guitar thing. I'm just learning, you know, that seems like a financially sound decision, right? That's the side of it I look at. I really do think that, right? Music is something that I personally think I would be a miserable person if I didn't do it for a living. Um, and so I think that's how my heroes were. I just don't think there's really an, another choice. Um, and I'm not saying that, oh, it would be, I think I would be a little less miserable, I guess, if I was still working in music, even if I wasn't playing it, like right. if I was publishing or if I was a manager, because at least I could have my hands on it at some level. But I do need to remind myself at times, like, you know, this is something you're doing because this is where your not your brain or any other part of your body, but your heart sort of leads towards. I mean, that's the truth. My brain leads towards everything else. <laughs> you know, like my brain is constantly like, this is, this is scary, right? But my heart just tells me, it doesn't matter how scary it is, you got to do it, so. Right, and so when you went to Belmont, were you going to Belmont because you wanted to go to school or were you going to Belmont because you wanted to be in Nashville and that was a way to get there? Um, a little bit of both. I was pretty passionate about having a college degree for whatever reason. It's just something I wanted to do. Um, something my parents were really passionate about me doing. Um, my sister went to school and pretty much said it was some of the best four years of her life um, and made friends. And um, for me, I just felt like moving here. I grew up in like a two mile town where everybody knows everybody else's business. And I'd never really lived anywhere else. And so I think for me too, in hindsight, for me to get adjusted to living sort of more on my own, being at school sort of helped give me structure throughout the days and sort of a reason for being there other than trying to chase music down. Now, that being said, when I went to school, my, my focus on being at Belmont and, and in Nashville was not 
go get a degree and get a job with your degree. <laughs> yeah. There goes my head and my heart again, not being very smart. Right? <laughs> um, there goes, you know, two different pages. Right. So when I got there, I just, I played a ton of shows. It took me a little bit, a couple months to really sort of understand what I was doing. Right. And figure out what this all is. But after that, I just, I played a ton of shows. Um, I wasn't a, I'm still not like a great networker. Um, something I'm trying to improve upon because I, I know how important it is, but definitely then I was not a great networker. And so I would just go play shows and hope that someone liked what they heard from me and would come up and talk to me rather than me going to someone else's show and having to go talk to them. Right. Uh, and so that just kind of snowballed over the course of a couple of years where I was just playing shows and sort of just naturally found my way in that. And I didn't even really, I wish I did, but I didn't really use any of Belmont's real connections or programs or anything like that until I was maybe like a junior in college. Oh, okay. And two guys that I think you met early on were Adam Doliak and Taylor Phillips are two guys that you met within your journey. And so what have they meant for you within this journey? Yeah. So I met, I met Adam through Taylor. Um, I was playing this place called the poor house, which is now, a, a, it's been like three different places since oh, okay. uh, right over there on eighth Avenue. And um, Taylor was there and Taylor had just written um, hurricane for Luke Combs, but this was way pre before it was like on the radio or a big single. I mean, there's probably a couple of years before then really, or maybe a year and a half. Oh, okay. It's just kind of been like a Luke release, right? When he was independent at the time. Right. And Taylor and I just got to talking and he just liked what I did. You know, some of the songs I'd written in the last you know, six months or whatever, I was just playing. And I was doing some co-writing before that. Um, that would have been early my, that would have probably been my sophomore year or something like that in school. So I was getting into co-writing through my freshman year. I played on Broadway my entire freshman year summer, which was an experience. And then uh, I was doing co-writing throughout that entire time, at least trying to as much as I could, right? Just right. meeting people and trying to meet as much people as I can. And then I met Taylor and Taylor just kind of took me under his wing to a certain extent. And we would just write songs like around every day, maybe every other day and write, try to write two three songs a day if we could. And Taylor, unlike me, is an awesome networker. Like, just great. Like, he can he can talk anybody into doing whatever he wants. <laughs> Which is a, like a, a really special skill that some people have. And he's just great. He's very personable and people like being around him. And so he would have like people come by his little studio. He had this little studio that was like a shoebox <laughs> of a building on Music Row. It was tiny. I mean, it was, it wasn't even, it was like a hallway, really. Oh, really? It was a hallway with a door and three walls, right? <laughs> so people would kind of be on Music Row and he would just text them, be like, hey, swing by and say hi. And then he would just get them to write a song. <laughs> You know, pretty much. And so Adam was one of those people that would kind of hang, would, would swing by and say, what's up. And, um, we wrote the three of us, we wrote, um, pull it off, which came Brown recorded. Yeah. And in terms of just like learning, like 
Taylor at that time was just so, which he still is now, he's just great lyrically and great ideas. And at the time I was very musical and had melodies and stuff. And so we were able to sort of have a little bit of a yin and yang thing to it. You do that part, I'll do this part. And learning how to write lyrics for me in terms of real, you know, sort of country music too, because I didn't grow up in it. I had to kind of read the history book backwards to a certain extent. Where, right. You know, I got in through guys like Eric Church and Kenny Chesney. Those were my favorites when I was younger, you know, I was 16, 17. And then through being in town, I had to go back to straight and Garth Brooks and Keith Whitley. And I mean, Shania Twain and all these people, right. And just, keep going down into Loretta Lynn, Johnny Cash, Mo Haggard, right? Like, so I did it, I did it backwards and there's stuff that I love in every era and there's stuff that I, I could, you know, I'm fine without in every era, but that's just right. like any other music, you know? Yeah. So, um, but they really taught me just watching them and hearing and how they progress through a song and how, what type of words they use, what kind of little tricks of the trade and little clever things they do taught me really how to write lyrics. And, and uh, Brock Berryhill is another one of those guys who's a producer in town. Brian Carper is another guy who leans a little bit more on the rock side. So him and I got along really well. And all, all of those guys really just sort of, just being able to watch them every day do what they do and hear how they get through a song really helped sort of fast track everything I was doing um, and slowly just picking up concepts and slowly picking up little, little tricks and little things that you could do to make a song sound more catchy or make a song make more sense or, you know, things of that nature. Right. And you mentioned the cut with Kane. Now, I think that was one of your first. And then of course the biggest one is Chris Jansen and Dunn. You were a co-writer on that song. Now, when that went number one, what does that mean on the songwriting side? We know what it means for an artist, but as a songwriter, ultimately within this career, within this whole crazy life, what does that mean when you get word that a song you were a co-writer on hit number one? I mean, it's special, right? I mean, it's for, for an artist, obviously it's, it's, it's very special um, because it means a lot for the, uh, the progress of your career, you know, like yeah. moving into the next steps and the same goes for being a songwriter. Um, the same goes, I mean, you just, you know, you start to feel a little bit more legitimized in what you do and you start to say to yourself, okay, I'm not, not really losing my mind too much. Right. <laughs> that happening. And it's, 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 it's a, for sure goal, right. It's a, for sure benchmark that you want to have and you want to have under your belt. And um, that was special. I mean, it was a little weird because we were right in the middle of the pandemic when it happened. So I was yeah. like, Let's go celebrate. <laughs> Let's go celebrate. It's like, oh, we can't go celebrate. Right. So that was kind of going on. But still, it's um, no, it's it's a definitely a special feeling for sure. And now with that, and then I believe 2021. So last year, I believe it was, you were named by Music Row as a top 100 songwriter. 
you were nominated for Breakthrough Songwriter of the Year in the Music Row Awards, and you are a BMI award winner on the songwriting side. So as this is all happening, you're also thinking about your solo career. How important have the last two years been in building the mindset of a solo career? Because it feels like on the songwriter side, you're building success it maybe could get easy to get comfortable within that and say, this is going so well, I should just stay on this track and keep doing this. Um, yeah, I, I mean, and that's something I, I still want to do um, because I enjoy it. And there are challenges within songwriting as well. Like there's, there's artists that I want to have cut my songs, you know, whether it's a single or not, just because, I grew up listening to them and I want to be a very small, small, small part of their career and their history. Um, and that just would mean a lot to me. So there's different challenges like that in the songwriting career. And in terms of an artist career, it's just something I've always wanted to do. And these songs that we've had, we've had cut for a while. Yeah. Uh, they're, they've been, done and, and cut for a long time like what i mean at least a year and a half so honestly we were thinking about releasing them a lot earlier and then you know the covid hit and and uh, chris had our song on the radio so i was like maybe we should wait to see how this pans out i mean we're in the covid year anyway i mean we're not going to be playing shows off of this and in retrospect um Maybe not, I'm not going to say that was a mistake, but there's a couple different ways to go about it. And we just decided to wait for the dust to settle and then we'll attack it from there. And right. I'm glad we did because we added people to our team that I think have helped me immensely really in the, in the time, in that time frame. And so um, it was always in my mind. I just didn't know when the right time was going to be the right time to really just start hit the ground running. Um and like I said, real early when we started talking was it's two things I do want to try to juggle for as long as I can. And in terms of artist career, I'm just so focused on, um, I just want to create a long career. Uh, I'm not someone who's going to say I, I need to be the biggest thing in the world tomorrow. I, I, <laughs> honestly, my, my biggest goal, I tell us to market all the time. My biggest goal in music is to never write a resume. Right. I just don't want to have one. I just want to be able to play music for as long as I can. And, and, you know, I think the artist career allows me to do that because I do think that there are unique songs in the catalog that we're planning on doing. And there's unique songs within the EP that we're releasing. And I think building upon that is something that's always sort of been important to me. Now within building this EP, I was talking to, I think it was Muscadine Bloodline. And they were talking about sort of the difference between an album and an EP where an album, you can sort of not bury, but you can put some songs on it that are sort of more far ranging from your regular sounds, what fans might expect. Whereas with an EP, you're almost focused on them all being heaters. It has to be the best song, the best song. And so when you were putting together this EP, especially it being your debut music for everyone, what was the mindset in creating a path throughout the EP for the listener? There were, there were conversations like that. And I think that's something that I'm taking into the next project and I think I'm going to care a little less about it at some level. Um, 
And, um, but when we did this one, there was a couple songs that we felt were staples within the project. And one of them's Wildflower, which is the name of the EP. Um, one of them is probably my favorite song on the EP called Morning in New Orleans. And the other one is Easy to Find, which is the first song. And, and we just thought Easy to Find was just a really good bridge between what I do and maybe what um, is out there at some right. level. Just think it's very commercial and easy to digest, um, which is important. I mean, I think that's something that is is still important in our industry. Um, and the other two, one of them, uh, Morning in New Orleans is a little bit more rock and it's a little longer and it's oh, okay. got some more production difference, cool things and is a little bit more of a, a story song at some level. Um, and then Wildflower is just way more you know, stripped down and raw and emotional. And um, I think that's really where I get my sort of my rocks off doing all this stuff is, is going into those songs, right? Like the emotional, um, honest, um, at times introspective sort of songs are the ones that I, I really do love writing and performing. So um, I do agree. I, th I think when building this EP, we just wanted to try to make a, a, a rounded out introduction of what I sort of do at some level. At this point, from we were putting together the EP, we were just like, just put out the songs that you think are, are you and tell a good story about what you are and where you come from and what you're going to do in the future. So that was really the base of it. And you mentioned it's been ready for a while. I think I saw a post back in 2020 that you mentioned you were ready to release it. And so you've been sitting on this for a bit. So what does that do for the anticipation leading up? Does it add nerves or are you more comfortable because you've had a chance to sit with it for a while? I'm not sure if it adds nerves. It definitely adds some relief to say the least, you know, you're just kind of like, you know, that the COVID year, year and a half or whatever, really just sort of gave you time to think about what do I really want to do with all this? And the songs are done, but how exactly do we make the connection so that we profit, you know, not profit financially, but sort of make it an efficient release where you're getting something out of it as well. You're not just putting songs into the universe and having them live there right right yeah it did give me time i think you know i, I was 21 22 years old when we released or maybe a little older 23 24 you're still young you know and you're you're kind of like trying to, and i'm still young now but i'm still trying to figure out exactly how you want to frame it and who you want whose attention do you want to grab with all of this and so I think over that time period, me being able to sit back and bring in the right people to help me convey that message has made me a little bit more comfortable than nervous, I would say. Thank you once again so much for listening and thank you to Matt for stopping by and sharing his story. Be sure to check out his debut EP, Wildflower, wherever you stream your music. Please also be sure to check out our website, countrymusicmademe.com. 
There you can listen to all of our episodes and also sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content straight to your inbox. Just head over to countrymusicmademe.com and hit that subscribe button. Also, you can find us on any streaming service. So head over to your favorite, search Country Music Made Me and give us a follow there as well. Thank you once again so much for listening and we'll see you next time on Country Music Made Me. Music